I just personally don't think that two indictments, possibly three, possibly four, is ultimately going to be a positive thing for voters. It's just something I, I don't know, there's just a hunch I have. <laughs> Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, June 13th. Today, I'm joined by Ben Landy to talk 2024 Republican politics in the wake of Donald Trump's federal indictment for mishandling classified documents. The candidate who stands to benefit the most from this controversy is Trump's top rival, Ron DeSantis. But does DeSantis have what it takes to seize the moment, or will his anti-woke shtick eventually lose its luster with GOP voters? We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com. Dot M-E slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. I'm joined today by Ben Landy, who he was filling in for me a little bit when I was on honeymoon. Isn't that right, Ben? I was filling in. I had a, I had a great time in the uh, in the hot seat. And Peter, honestly, I'm uh, I, I miss it. I was a little bit I was a little bit sad Whoa. to uh, to let it go. Are you coming in for my spot? Is that the the, <laughs> the hot draft pick is gunning for the veteran's uh, seat? Apparently, never, never. But I'm I'm excited to be back on the mic with you. It's been a Thanks, while. Man. It has been a while. It's good to see you. It's good to see your face on the Zoom. So Julia is on, on book leave. Tara is taking a little vacay, much deserved for both of them. Book leave <laughs> deserved. Once you get a book deal, you have to do it. So I sort of stepped in a little bit on the the best and the brightest this week and wrote a little ditty for you and John about where Ron DeSantis is at right now and how he can sort of turn the narrative around. 
that just posted yesterday. Everyone go read it. What was your take when you were editing me? And I, I dropped that on you because you, you were helping me come up with the idea in the first place. But usually when you help me come up with an idea, <laughs> I like take it 45 degrees in another direction. So hopefully uh, it wasn't too bad. You did. Well, well, I sort of originally pitched to you this idea that Ron DeSantis as a candidate is actually too online in the same way that people on the right, people in the center often make fun of people on the far left for being too plugged into sort of like the digital activist class. Now it's Ron DeSantis, who's sort of obsessed with all these academic adjacent buzzwords, you know, wokeism and critical race theory, gender ideology, woke banking, ESG, DEI, so I sort of CRT. To you that, you know, <laughs> has DeSantis gone too far? Is he totally disconnected from the lives of ordinary voters? Is this stuff not going to go over well? Is he kind of consigning himself to this little corner of the internet where, where no one's going to even understand what he's saying? And you kind of turned it back around. I thought this was so funny, Peter, because you have always been a little bit bullish on DeSantis, or at least a little bit of a contrarian, I think, on the <laughs> conventional wisdom that this guy doesn't have the juice. So you turned back around this piece, kind of pushing back at the the new received wisdom that DeSantis doesn't have what it takes to, to go up against Trump. And I thought maybe I could sort of turn the microphone around a little bit on you with, with this piece you just wrote, sort of refuting the narrative. <laughs> you think that DeSantis doomerism is premature. So give yeah. me the case. What, what is the, the Peter Hamby case for why uh, DeSantis is still in this thing? Well, uh, thank you for calling me a contrarian against conventional wisdom in politics, <laughs> which is my entire brand. Uh, so well-deserved. I think that pushing back on the DeSantis's doom narrative is only me just taking the long view and being open to the fact that things can change. And so we just saw today, Donald Trump was arraigned in Miami for his second indictment, his first federal indictment for mishandling classified documents pertaining to nuclear secrets, top secret surveillance, spies. There was obstruction of justice. Uh, it's a pretty airtight case, according to Donald Trump's former attorney general, Bob Barr, who, when Trump's first indictment came down in Manhattan, brushed it off as a bogus sort of you know political witch hunt. This one, Barr was saying Trump is toast. And so I generally like to take a step back when we're talking about Donald Trump and these legal problems, because I feel like we in the political class get twisted up into thinking about like how this might help him in the Republican primary and sort of gaming this stuff out. I just personally don't think that two indictments, possibly three, possibly four, is ultimately going to be a positive thing for voters. It's just something I, I don't know, there's just a hunch I have, <laughs> including Republican voters. And look, I think polls bear that out a little bit. ABC dropped a poll over the weekend showing that 38% of Republicans think the Jack Smith indictment from the DOJ is serious, compared to just 19% of Republicans said the same about the Alvin Bragg indictment. And so I think that News cycles, as much as Republicans don't trust the news, can have an impact on voter perceptions, on the horse race numbers. And I do think Ron DeSantis still has so much to prove. I'm not saying that Donald Trump is dead. I'm not saying that Ron DeSantis is going to come back. The whole point of the piece was to say, we don't know yet how Republicans are going to react to this indictment news, one. And two... The first debate is really the only thing that matters right now. All of the news that we're following with like Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis, voters in Iowa and New Hampshire paying a little bit more attention, but most people aren't paying that much attention. And the debates have an enormous impact on moving the needle here. And we need to see, one, which candidates, uh, Ron DeSantis among them, go after Trump on these legal issues and his 
the problems with his electability in 2024. And then two, on the topic of Ron DeSantis, like everyone's sort of like making fun of him and making fun of him for being too online. And he might be. And everyone's saying he, you know, looks silly in his white boots and he's overdoing it on the retail stops and he's got an annoying voice. And, you know, he doesn't have the almighty populist powers that Donald Trump has. We just don't know yet. I mean, he's got to step up on that stage and really rise to the moment. And I was talking to John about this, and this is in my piece too. Like, I remember Rick Perry. I remember John Huntsman. I remember Bobby Jindal. And Scott Walker is the most obvious example, or the one that people use the most, you know, of these governors who walk into the primary. They think their shit don't stink because they come from these single-party Republican states. They're surrounded by enablers and advisors like Ron DeSantis who tell him he's the greatest. You know, a national campaign's a little bit different. And so I just think that those are some variables we have to wait and see. But there's only seven or eight months until the Iowa caucuses. That's not a lot of time for DeSantis to sort of step in and grow as a candidate, but it's some time. And like, uh, we just can't like judge judge him based on where he's at in the polls right now. And the, the final thing I'll say on this is, I, I made this point with Tara before too. After the midterms, uh, Ron DeSantis' stock went up in the horse race polls in 2024. He had like, he was trailing Donald Trump by like 15 points in national polls. When that first indictment came down in New York, Republicans rallied to him in a big way. He expanded his lead. He's currently leading the field the na- in national polls by like 30 points over DeSantis, his number one challenger. But if you look under the hood, DeSantis' favorables are still great. Like 76% of Republicans have a favorable opinion of Ron DeSantis. Like 55% of Republicans are either going to vote for him or say they're considering voting for him, according to a CBS poll. No other Republican has his numbers. Nikki Haley's faves are in the toilet. Mike Pence's are in the toilet. Chris Christie's are in the toilet. Like Ron DeSantis is currently still extremely well-liked by Republicans, despite the media narrative about his dumb Twitter rollout with David Sachs and Elon Musk and whether he's you know up to a presidential campaign. Republicans want to hear from him. They like him. And, you know, I I guess the nut graph in my piece is it feels like he's getting almost too much bad press compared to where he actually is in the race. Just because Donald Trump is expanding his lead in the horse race, that's just Republicans rallying to Donald Trump. But they're not saying, I don't like Ron DeSantis. They're just switching their voter preference to Trump while it seems like he's under siege. But Peter, don't you think those numbers just have to inevitably go down? And, and with a huge caveat that I, I'm not a professional political operative, but it seems to me that, you know, you were just talking about how DeSantis is this sort of awkward, stilted figure. The more he's been out on the campaign trail, the more he is besieged <laughs> by stories about these deeply uncomfortable interactions that he has with not just local power brokers, but just ordinary people when he encounters them in diners. He doesn't know how to talk to them like a real person. Yeah. And to your other point, it is still so, so early. Anything can happen. I think, you know, obviously we're desensitized to everything that's happened with Trump, but it is extraordinary what's happened. It's unprecedented that Trump has now been indicted twice. He yeah. faces seriously the threat of being imprisoned. Joe Biden is 81 years old. Donald Trump is up there on the actuarial tables, too. I mean, anything could happen with these guys. There's a long way to go. But I do wonder if the more that voters are exposed to the real DeSantis uh-huh. and not just sort of the the version that's been presented to them through Fox News that they've read about online, who does have this incredible resume, who does seem on paper like the perfect Republican candidate, Uh that when they see him on the debate stage, when they see more and more video of him, that at some level, primal, intuitive, visceral, what have you, this guy's just not going to pass the smell test. 
Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. I'm, I'm saying it's too early to write them off. But yeah, I mean, they, they, we see all this evidence. Tara wrote a great piece about being on the road with DeSantis and how kind of stilted he can be. Uh, Tina has done some really good behind the scenes reporting about how the I-4 corridor is littered with the bodies of former Ron DeSantis staffers that he has thrown out of the car window because he made them angry. He's not known as a warm person. The person he trusts the most isn't Jeff Rowe or any other advisor. It's his wife, Casey. And yeah, I mean, we'll see if his sort of brusque personality either changes or just doesn't wear well with voters. You know, something to keep in mind, too, I, I use the Rick Perry analogy. I do think Rick Perry, for all his faults and his failed campaign, was a really genuinely like nice guy. He invited me to go jogging with him one morning in the Iowa caucuses. He was sort of known actually as being a good retail politician, but to win statewide elections in Texas, which he did, I believe, three times, it's like you raise a lot of money and you run a lot of TV ads. And that's what you do in Florida too. And like, so DeSantis, he won his house race. I'm not saying he's never done retail politics. Like you have to do that. You have to shake hands and raise money when you're a politician at his level. But Rick Scott is the same way. He came out of Florida. The guy just ran a bunch of TV ads statewide. And so he's going now into like the Red Arrow Diner in Manchester and going to like Des Moines and shaking hands with with locals. It's just sort of a different kind of campaigning where your personality and your interpersonal skills are just much more on display than they are in a statewide campaign in Florida where it's all about the TV screens and the iPhones and the Androids. And again, I'm just saying we have to like wait and see here. I mean, a lot of us in the press, a lot of his critics and people on rival campaigns are sort of needling him and mocking him for being, you know, this nasal voiced, out of touch weirdo. But the voters will ultimately decide whether that's the case and whether that's enough to inhibit him winning the Republican nomination. Jeff Rowe talked to Axios recently and he's running DeSantis' outside group now and made the case that like Republican voters want angry. They want red meat. They're, they're in an angry mood. And so maybe DeSantis' demeanor, that sort of like cranky fighter, the anti-woke guy, is what Republicans want. But I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know yet. I don't know yet. I think it's so it's just way too early to start writing obituaries. And that I think was sort of my larger MO when I look at these political campaigns, because we didn't think Trump was going to win. We didn't think Obama was going to win, yada, yada, yada on down the line. Things change. And I think the debates are the sort of main thing where Republican voters are going to be tuning in, getting their first impressions and possibly changing their minds about Trump DeSantis or maybe one of the other candidates. Yeah, Peter. Well, speaking of Jeffro, I've got a bunch more questions for you about that brain trust that's now running the DeSantis campaign. Um, but let's take a quick break, and then I'll ask you about that when we get back. Welcome back to the Powers That Be, everybody. The tables are turned on this on this episode. Ben Landy is asking me the questions. You wanted to ask me about Jeff Rowe, huh? Yeah, we, we were just talking about Rowe. You were talking about how um, there's a lot of consultants in, in, in DeSantis' corner who thinks he needs to be the angry guy. He needs to be the red meat guy that he needs mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. outflank Trump to his right. And, and definitely he's done that on policy. But I'm curious if you think that DeSantis has sort of gone off the rails a little bit in terms of this focus on, on wokeism. You know, he, he has this campaign yeah. slogan that Florida is where woke goes to die. He's also has this motto, make America Florida. 
This has obviously been been an issue that has excited elements of the GOP base. But I also wonder if some of this like goes over the heads of ordinary people. Yeah. Obviously, this was a really animating issue for Glenn Youngkin in his Virginia gubernatorial campaign in 2021. Famously, Jeff Rowe was the consultant who helped bring Youngkin to victory there. But I'm curious if you think that it's possible DeSantis kind of overlearned that lesson on some mm-hmm. level, because, you know, he has taken that refrain and run with it so much more vehemently. And it has gotten mm-hmm. so much more ugly, so much more extreme. And, and the language itself also has gotten very academic. We were talking before about how DeSantis is always talking about DEI and cultural Marxism and gender ideology. I just feel like he has gotten so far away from the sort of bread and butter issues that most voters care about. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, first of all, I think DeSantis, you know, I'm, I'm like Googling as we speak, like, it's hard to remember when DeSantis actually started going after um, diversity and uh, CRT, you know, was it after Glenn Youngkin won in Virginia in 2021? Like, maybe it's he certainly escalated it since then. But he's really been like a conservative governor on cultural issues for a while now. I think I think DeSantis tried to, to ban CRT in 2021 before Youngkin's victory. Totally. But I think also like Youngkin's victory, it cemented in the minds of the GOP consultant class that this was a winning message, that, that it worked yeah. for, you know, white suburban moms who were upset about what their kids were learning in school. And it felt like this was mm-hmm. a really powerful issue for them to latch on to. And it seems like now it has just gone so far overboard in some ways and, and definitely right. risks alienating middle of the road and independent voters, too. Look, I think we can consultant analyze this stuff to death like like is jeff Rowe bringing the yunkin strategy to DeSantis? i don't know you know i'm from richmond like i follow virginia politics really closely i think the crt angle and the quote-unquote parents rights strategy that he implemented in virginia it allowed yunkin to go on fox news and talk about crt to hardcore partisans uh, but it also allowed him to go into Prince William County and Henrico County and these sort of swingy suburban parts of the state of Virginia, excuse me, my friends, the Commonwealth of Virginia, <laughs> and just talk to parents generally about parents' rights in schools. Like, should parents have a say? And remember, Terry McAuliffe flubbed that line in his debate famously where he says, you know, parents need to keep their <laughs> keep their hands out of our kids' schools and teachers should be in charge. Well, you know, what? that was a dumb thing to say. <laughs> and... Looking at all the kind of after action studies of the Virginia race, you know, Youngkin won because the Republican base showed up. The Democratic base was depressed in in an off year. But Biden voters swung back to Glenn Youngkin and Youngkin talking about education broadly allowed him to program to various different audiences. For example, in Virginia, you know, a lot of uh, Asian parents were upset that they were dialing back testing standards that helped their kids. And that was sort of under the umbrella of education broadly. He wasn't running, in other words, only on CRT and wokeism. That's what DeSantis sounds like. And I think I, I think we're agreeing here. Like it sounds like DeSantis when he's campaigning, it's just like he's just taking these these buzzwords and these things that have accumulated over the last four years on Twitter and Reddit and on like Steve Bannon's war room and on Fox News. And he's just like throwing it back out there. And just I think to wrap this up, like unless you've spent time in Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina, like I think we in the political press and in Washington and New York overestimate how much these primary and caucus goers like actually follow this stuff. There are lots of partisans out there who mainline 
right-wing vocabulary on the internet and ended up storming the Capitol. There are a lot of Iowa caucus goers, Republicans too, who have day jobs, who just genuinely, earnestly want to learn more about these candidates. They are conservative. Things like abortion and immigration matter and have always mattered. But I don't think that if you asked a random person on the street in council bluffs to explain what ESG is, I don't think they're going to give you (laughs) an answer there. And You know, I also think that DeSantis not only sounds like uh, he's too twisted up in this sort of reactionary vocabulary of the right, he also sometimes sounds like just like a politician. I forget who made this point. It it might have been one of my friends on Pod Save America recently. Like, he sounds like he's a house guy sometimes. In the Twitter uh, event he did announcing his campaign, he was talking about the Reins Act and Chevron deference, jurisprudence, and like sounded like something somebody on like a House committee would talk about. Yeah, he's a former lawyer. He's a former JAG, and he totally yeah, sounds totally. like it. All of these things are just like come off as opaque to just like normal people. You know, again, for all of Trump's faults, he had a message, make America great again, ban Muslims, whatever. Like those are very clear things that people understand for better or worse. And I read a piece the other day by Benjamin Wallace Wells, in the New Yorker, and it was pretty good. But he had a line in there that I disagreed with and think was actually the opposite of the case, which is, and this is the quote about DeSantis and his presidential campaign. If the brand is clear, the tactics are still a little fuzzy. I think the opposite is true, Ben. I think the tactics are actually pretty clear with DeSantis. You know, he's got Jeff Rowe. He's got this outside group. He's transferred all this money from his governor's account to his super PAC. They're going to go all in on Iowa, on building a field campaign. Before Jeff Rowe was known as this like Yunkin conservative whisperer, think back to 2016 and even before that, he was known as like a guy who understands like field tactics, how to build a campaign from the ground up, how to target people in various ways, digital field doors, whatever. I think the DeSantis brand is unclear. All we know is anti-woke, right? Successful campaigns usually have a pretty clear brand that gets them through the primary and the general election. Make America great again. Um, you know, Obama's hope and change thing. Yes, we can. Biden, like, let's restore the values of America, et cetera, et cetera. Winning campaigns have a very clear brand. <laughs> a bumper DeSantis sticker. has been totally on message that end wokeness is his brand. That's what his right, campaign but I'm is saying, all about. Yeah, 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 but yeah, the totally, problem is yeah. that nobody knows what that means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not clear to like... I mean, look, maybe I'm fucking wrong, but that's like not clear to normies. Like end wokeness is your, like just four years ago, people didn't know what even woke meant. And, and the, people still don't know what woke means. It's been well, like who just made this very point. Universe. Donald Trump made this exact point when he was riffing during some event the other day. He just sort of went off on this little stream of consciousness rant about how he tries to get the crowds fired up talking about tax policy and nobody cares. It's total silence. And then he mentions wokeness and everyone lights up. And then he says sort of almost as if he was talking to himself, none of you know what this means. None of you were talking about this 10 years ago. <laughs> I missed that completely. I got to look that up. That's it, like it was, a, it was a rare moment of total self-awareness where he was completely correct. That's so interesting. I'm not saying Trump has a common touch. That's not what I'm saying. But he understands branding, I guess. Trump stakes, Trump ties, whatever. Hey, Ben, it's been good to talk to you. Thank you for interviewing me. And most importantly, thank you for editing my pieces. As always, you make them much better. Nice to see you, man. If people haven't checked out your piece, they should definitely go online and read it right now. It's fantastic. Thanks, buddy. See you soon. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, 
Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.